0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. On this week's episode, we'd like to present for you an interview with historian, anti-imperialist, writer, William Bloom. Sadly, William passed away on December 9th, 2018. When Abby and I conducted this interview originally, we thought we lost it in a hard drive crash. Turns out, while digging around for some old files on some old hard drives that I had lying around, um, we found one half of the interview. Back then, we used to record everything we did when we would interview over Skype anyways as a backup. So what you're going to hear today is something from our archives that we thought we lost, a guest that we were supposed to have on our podcast um, that technically never appeared, and now he is not with us anymore so we thought we'd release this episode for you guys um and we hope you enjoy it this interview was conducted on may 4th 2015. so without further ado here's william bloom
1: all right william uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today um you're one of the foremost experts uh, on the CIA. I mean, this is an agency founded back in 1947, originally tasked with gathering intelligence around the world. Was there anything that resembled what the CIA did that existed in the government before that time?
2: Um, not in
1: not in the form of any specific agency. I mean,
2: there were of course there was intelligence operations doing. Uh, World War II. Uh, in fact, it, uh, the OSS was created then, the, the Office of Special Services, I think it was. Uh, and that, that was the forerunner of the CIA. That became the CIA in, in 1947.
0: So the, so the OSS, um, was, was that f- actually formed during World War II or did that exist previously to World War II?
2: Formed during World War II. Uh, for the purpose of fighting World War Two, <laughs>
0: and so and so, previous to the actual formation of the OSS, things like C- oh,
2: there wasn't any uh, any significant official agency that I know of. Uh, it was the, the FBI probably was was the one the agency which would have been involved in any kind of foreign intelligence or spying.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Despite the Bush administration codifying torture and the Obama administration's extrajudicial assassinations, these tactics have been happening long before both administrations, as you outlined. Can you expand on this?
2: Well, we've been killing people for centuries, if that's what you mean. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We didn't use drones uh, before, but... uh, We've been killing and torturing people for, for centuries. I mean, in, in the Philippines, in, in the 1890s and in the early 1900s, we, we, we tortured and reported 50,000 people. So we are, historically, the U.S. is the, a leading force in, in torture. Uh, and not, not, not just doing it, but pro- providing the equipment, torture equipment, to people in the third world. Uh, providing teachers for them to to be taught uh, how to torture, and th- providing manuals of torture. They, 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 the real manuals existed
1: exist, existed showing how to torture people, and uh, I have a chapter on that in one of my books. Uh, yeah, no, I wanted to I wanted you to kind of elaborate on. You know, because, of course, in the light of the torture report, the fact that the CIA has not only been torturing people for decades, but that the agency has known for decades that it actually gives false confessions, um, outline some of the most grave instances of just state-sanctioned torture and why you think this kind of was omitted from the narrative once the torture report came out.
2: What are you saying was omitted?
1: The fact that we've already been torturing people for decades,
2: <laughs> well, it's I if if it was omitted, it's, it's because they're embarrassed. That's whatever reason, whether it be uh, I, I I I can't say that I've read every word of the of the torture report. So I, I I don't even I I don't know what the story behind that is, except for what I just said. Uh, but it's there's plenty of documentation of, of, of our history of torture.
0: I wanted you to go into a little more detail about what happened in the Philippines in, in, you said in the 1890s. Was that, Was that, I mean, I'm assuming there was probably some documentation of, at the very least, waterboarding.
2: Yeah, right. Waterboarding was used then uh, uh, extensively. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much documentation exists overall for the torture the u.s. carried out in the philippines in the 1890s uh... so i really, I really can't I go into any further detail about this i i just know that it was very extensive a, a figure of fifty thousand people tortured is what the history books say uh... and it's it led to the u.s. uh... making the philippines a colony which they which it was until post World War Two, and still is now today in effect.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's sort of the era that um, Teddy Roosevelt comes from as being, you know, the the, the this heroic sort of war figure. Um, and I don't think most people go really even even most war historians don't really go past or before World War One to sort of go into some of the atrocities, you know, that have been were committed even before that. Your book, well, "Killing Hope," um, especially showed me that there have been things happening long before World War One, which shocked me. I think that's a just a really fascinating aspect of all of this. That you know, even before the <laughs> the twentieth century, there was a lot of thing horrible things happening um, on behalf of the U.S. government. Yeah,
2: I mean, you, you may have heard of what we what we did to the Indians, <laughs> the North American Indians. Uh, that was Pretty horrible, horrible, and it went on for uh, over a century. Uh, We have quite a charming history, we have in in this land. Uh, Hmm. um, I think by now, though, any any American who doesn't have a a halfway decent idea in his head that we have this very terrible background, any such person uh, doesn't want to know, and they never will. But anyone who has any interest in history at all knows that our background is full of murder and torture and rape and overthrowing governments and bombing and what have you. It's quite an impressive record. You,
1: you mentioned about the CIA uh, manuals um, that you got a hold of. And, you know, all mainstream discussion of CIA assassinations around the world are kind of dismissed as conspiracy theories. I mean, in your book you're providing excerpts from these training manuals that gives detailed explanations on how to kill someone by making it look accidental Uh, how did you get a hold of these documents and what was the craziest thing you found in them
2: these documents were released by
1: the Pentagon in the (laughs) 1980s I think it was
2: Uh, I don't recall now what led them to to release these documents what they did back then and uh so they are available for anyone who wants to see them. I have summaries of of the major ones of in my book rogue state uh, and it's very straightforward they, they 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 don't use the word torture but they, they it's, that's all that's missing, and they tell you what to do and how how to uh cover up this or that it's uh, it's quite quite a charming read.
1: Yeah, they're talking about how to how to control the population, put checkpoints, get ID cards, push someone yeah. off the roof of a building, pretend like you were the only witness, like just really crazy stuff there. Um,
0: when was amazing. when was this uh, released by the Pentagon?
2: I I think in, in the in the eighties or the nineties.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, okay.
2: Easy to find.
0: And was it as part of some kind of like public disclosure with other kinds of documents, or was it leaked?
2: No, it was not leaked. It was actually it was a formal declaration by the Pentagon. Uh, I don't recall exactly what preceded it, which made them feel obliged to release these documents, but they did. <laughs> uh, it Interesting. probably came through the period. Of uh, several exposures of not nice things done by the government, and so there was pressure on them. Uh, it's like the the famous Church Committee on the CIA that that came about because of one expose after another of CIA misdeeds, and so uh, when when the powers that be are embarrassed enough, uh, they they think by just being open and, and, uh, uh, honest for a change that they'll relieve some of the criticism against them. But it, my, uh,
1: yeah. It seems, it seems so brazen because like I said, I mean, this kind of stuff is still scoffed at, scoffed at as kind of conspiracy theories in the mainstream media. Oh, the CIA is going, you know, openly talking about killing people. I mean, this is in their documents. This is in their yeah. own documents.
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I wonder just how widespread uh, such naivety is is these days. I think even in the, in the mainstream media. I think anyone with a halfway decent intellect and halfway decent conscience they 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 know of of the the overall outline of these things. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though they, they don't mention them in their articles when when, when they should, or when it's appropriate, they, they still know. Uh, I think the age of total innocence is over.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it seems like these days we hear a lot more just in general about, you know, how bad the NSA is or how bad, you know, President Obama is for having a kill list. And while those things are definitely very bad... Um, They seem to, in some ways, take away from just the legacy that the CIA has had for, you know, for decades and decades that doesn't really matter who the president is or even really what the NSA is doing, because the CIA has not only intelligence gathering, but also assassination squads, um, you know, spying. I mean, it has everything that the U.S. government does that is bad. Sort
2: of. in, in this category, one thing which is not uh, enough to emphasize is that a lot of the of the spying by the NSA and the CIA, a lot of it has not been to pursue uh, cold war ends. It's been it's been to pursue commercial ends. They have been spying upon international corporations uh, to a large extent. It just w- was released again uh, the news from Germany that they have that the, the German Intelligence Bureau and, 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 and NSA have been spying on international corporations and this is obviously to help American and German corporations in, in my book Rocksteak uh, I have one chapter on, on on these things and I give uh, several examples of, of the companies which were whose documents were uh, publicized by the, by the, by the NSA and, and turned over to American corporations to help to give them an advantage, uh, a commercial advantage. So that's, it's not just fighting the Cold War or fighting terrorism. It's it's uh, good old business stuff. Yeah, I Four
0: mean, that, I? Oh, I was going to say that in and of itself is remarkable because, I mean, I think most... Thinking intelligent people know that to some degree on an intrinsic level. They know things like, you know, like the first Gulf War was for oil. I mean, that was pretty commonly spoken aloud back then. But I feel like as time has passed, we're, you know, people were sort of woken up by all this horrificness of the CIA over time. I feel like we've we've distanced ourselves from it now where it's not... If you just asked an average person on the street, do you think that the CIA and the U.S. government, you know, is fighting terrorism, or do you think that they're helping corporations? Helping corporations would seem like a crazy idea that I don't even think exists in many people's lexicon of, of how this whole thing works. But, I mean, it's so obvious, especially, you know, laid bare by your book, and then, you know, there's some other books. I think there was even a book in the 70s called Spooks, about how private corporations had their own intelligence apparatus that would that would also, you know, have a lot of retired CIA people like C- retired CIA people working for companies like McDonald's and and things like that. So it's been it's been happening for a while and um and yeah, you've done a you've done a great job of of really pointing out a lot of those things and how you know, things are not as they seem. They're, this is not about good versus evil. This is not about fighting terrorism. um so, yeah yeah
2: it's not just those things, yeah it's those things too, but uh, and, and, and besides which there's a whole new generation of people who have come of age in the past 20 years say who, to whom this is all new, so stuff has to do with Twitter again and again, and our, uh, our mass media don't do a good job of that at all. Uh, it's very easy and, and very wise to. Uh, and any current news story, to cite something from the past, which makes the current story much more understandable. Uh, that's what I aim to do in my writing, but that's often not the case uh, with the the, the, ma- the mass media here. Yeah,
1: William, William, you know who John Perkins is, right? Yeah. What do you think about his whole premise? I mean, of course, he, he wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman, just to let our audience know. Um, he says that he was an economic hitman, and that when the CIA didn't obtain their objectives in respective countries, that they would send in assassins or what do you call jackals to obtain yeah. what they wanted. I mean, through your extensive research, have you found evidence to support that?
2: I must admit, I'm not a great. Great fan of his writing. I think it's kind of thin. He said an awful lot of things, which he does not uh, document at all. And uh, I, I I, I, wasn't, I, I don't want to make any wild accusations, but I, sure, I'm not convinced that he is all he says he is. Uh, that's, that's as far as I can go.
1: Okay. Um, but, I mean, through your research, you have found that, um, I mean, aside from, from what he says, I mean, there, this does happen, though, right? We have attempted to
2: assassinate, I have a list of more than 50 foreign leaders that the CIA has attempted to assassinate. Uh, so, I mean, the idea of, of that, that basic idea of the U.S. assassinating foreign leaders who don't. Do their bidding that, that, of course, is nothing, is nothing to be questioned. Right. It's been going on for a long time.
0: Do you have that list in, in, in any of your books, or is that somewhere on, on the Internet?
2: It's, it's, it's an appendix of killing hope. Okay. I have, and I have an updated version of it on my website.
0: Oh, fantastic. And that, is, it for, is it free, like a free download? or?
1: Yeah. Oh. I don't trust Oh,
0: wow. Everything on my website is free. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. so it's... Yeah,
1: you have really, really in-depth indexes listed on your website, William. And just for everyone listening, I mean, your books are actually the most exhaustive, comprehensive studies of CIA operations that I've ever seen. And I just think that they are crucial for everyone to get. Killing Hope, um, Rogue State, and to check out your anti-empire report um, because man you are just on fire william you aren't stopping
2: i thank you very much you say that you're (laughs) exhausted but they've also exhausted me (laughs) that's
0: that's what great work usually does i mean you have to kind of it's like it's it does take something out of you to to put something on paper that that hard work yeah
2: my facebook cost me my my marriage my health and my finances (laughs) Otherwise I pay no price at all. <laughs> Man.
0: Do you have any regrets? I
2: have my, my finances back.
0: Good. And
2: yep. my knowledge is just so, so, so. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm okay. No, don't worry. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Fortunately, it gets to the best of, of every good journalist, William.
0: So, going back to Killing Hope, Killing Hope was one of my first exposures to just the breadth of how long the U.S. has been involved in this kind of stuff. And, you know, there are too many things that you list in Killing Hope to go over every single one. What's something from Killing Hope that's an operation that that most people don't know about that you think is really important that they do?
2: Well... They attempted to interfere in, in in the UK in various ways, uh, our dear ally. They attempted to assassinate Charles de Gaulle, uh, uh, another close ally, I mean, France, another close ally of the US. Uh, they attempted. They they did overthrow the government of uh, Charlie Hagan in Wittesiana, Uh and he he was not even, he, not even a, a, a a radical. I mean, you, one would think that these people we overthrew they all uh, committed to boxes or something like that. Many of them, many of these leaders we overthrew, were just liberals or slightly left liberals. But but they 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 did not support u s foreign policy sufficiently that was, that was their their crime. They wanted to be independent of washington and that that was not allowed so that's that's a repeated tale in all my stories
0: so basically one of the most dangerous things for a a foreign leader to be is autonomous and independent and, Right, exactly and, and once and once they 've made that decision then you 're pretty much a threat to the the
2: United States. That's a State. crime committed by Cuba. And, uh, and the, the, the U.S. was afraid that Cuba would uh, would infect other countries, you know. And they were right. As it turned out, Cuba has been an inspiration all over the world, especially in, in the Western Hemisphere. So, they, the, the U.S. powers that be were not totally stupid. They knew that the, the the that the Cuban idea of socialism had to be suppressed uh, and they they imagine if, if they hadn't done what they've done to Cuba what, what the what record by now we could present for Cuban socialism i mean with all the horrible things done against it they they still have been a great inspiration to in the world for, for, for a socialist society imagine that, that if they had not had to Suffer the U.S. embargo and, and the U.S. invasion and a thousand and other things, uh, the, the example they would have to show the world would be super, super impressive.
1: Yeah, I just went to Cuba, William, and man, that was what a trip. I mean, people who do not understand, despite this normalization process, that the U.S. is still spending 20 million taxpayer dollars on the ground through these fake aid programs. It's just unbelievable to just destabilize the regime. And and Obama's even said the strategy of isolation isn't working, a.k.a. we cannot unseat the Castros this way, so we have to change tactics. And it's just unbelievable. And I wanted to talk about something else that was going on before we get into what's happening in Cuba and Venezuela today. Let's talk about the Cold War, because this is when the CIA was really... Um, <laughs> um Operation Mockingbird, the CIA program that was used to infiltrate the media during the Cold War, where you know, director of the CIA at the time, William Colby, said that there was about three dozen newsmen on the CIA payroll. Of course, fast forward to 1976, where Bush Sr., once he took over the CIA, said that um, they were ending the program. I mean, how true is it that you think that CIA media infiltration has ended, and what prolonged effect do you think that that operation had?
2: They, they used the media, and not just in the U.S., of course, but all over the world. It was very common in, in the third world for the CIA to plant stories. They would write a story favorable to U.S. foreign policy, and they would give it to the editor and, and pay him, to ruin it, this was, this was a common occurrence for decades in the in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, you, you can't get better publicity than that when, when you write your own stories and headlines. Uh, and, it, it, of course, it, it must have influenced an entire generation of Latin Americans and, and other national, national analogies. Uh, you can't even put it... In, a number on that it just it was so immense uh, one of the best summaries of, of of US infiltration of the US mass media was by Carl Bernstein he wrote a long article I think it was for Rolling Stone it came out in the 1980s I would guess or the 90s and that's one of the, one of the most extensive uh Summaries of CIA operations with the mass media, uh, but it's, it's it's just incredible how how easy it was to convince an American editor or journalist to play ball with the CIA. It wasn't just the, the money that they were paid; it was the 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 honor of serving his government in in this in this in this marvelous Cold War, <laughs> and it was brought out all the latent patriotism of these uh, uh, writers. Um, wait, wait, so, I and mean, that's a,
1: and it, it's, it's the opposite of what journalists are supposed to be doing. I mean, you're just acquiescing to the establishment and running their stories. It's disgusting.
2: CIA was, was careful who they chose. They wouldn't have chosen someone like you or me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that, that brings me to an interesting thing that I heard about what the CIA funded, which was which is kind of odd. So, you know, you would expect that the CIA would be funding mostly stories and publications that would make the U.S. seem good, or Russia or Cuba look bad. But in the 1960s, I was wondering if you were aware of the CIA funding um, a magazine written by uh, Irving Kristol called Encounter Magazine, which was apparently a liberal a liberal yeah. magazine in Europe. Do you know anything about that? I
2: have, a, I have that. I, did, I discussed that in some detail in um, Killing Hope, I think, yeah, in my chapter on, on Europe. Uh, encounter magazine was uh, written... They had a long list of very prominent authors uh, throughout the Cold War, and it was, a, a, it was an, honor for, an honor for a writer to be in, in Encounter. Uh, and I forget now what finally caused the exposure, uh, but it, it was too too good a thing to, to last forever. It finally was exposed, and uh, there were many attacks made amongst journalists and people on the left uh, blaming the others for being so naive and so on, uh, but it finally came to an end. That's, and I just wonder, I have a long list, and think I have a long list of such publications in Europe and elsewhere uh, paid for by the CIA. They would actually, these, these magazines would not have existed in most in cases if not to the CIA's financing. It wasn't just a, uh, giving a, some spending money to one, or, one of the writers. I mean, they actually maintained the magazine. And, uh, and they had one in Rome, the, the, uh, which was a favorite of American tourists in Rome, what was it called again? Uh, I used to read it when I went to Europe. It was, the, <laughs> it was in English, and it was, it was like uh, later the, the International Herald Tribune. Uh, I think that was associated with it. I, I'm, I'm getting a bit fuzzy now. Uh, but there was an English-language newspaper which American tourists in Europe uh, made sure to get, uh, to keep in touch with home. And that was a creation of the CIA.
0: It's fascinating. Very creepy. Encounter magazine, I've read a bunch of it just to understand why the CIA would have funded it, and I still really can't because it Except
2: just... You're assuming that it's going to be sound like right-wingers, and that's not, that, that wasn't the point. The CIA had other magazines which were written from a conservative point of view, but the Encounter was written from a liberal point of view. To, so and so people would would really fall for it, and that you could say all kinds of things from a liberal point of view, which still is winds up supporting U.S. foreign policy to a great extent. That that's the beauty of it,
1: isn't it? It is, well,
0: it is really clever. Um, I mean, that's the only that's you put it you put it better than I could have. So,
1: William, um, back to kind of the Mockingbird setting and now, you know, we have the Broadcasting Board of Governors, the War Against RT, the Voice of America, the Radio for Europe. Is Mockingbird still going on in, in the sense that this has permeated the establishment or has it just transferred to kind of U.S. State Department propaganda overtly, where now we have just these agencies who put out propaganda?
2: It's mostly overt and 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 the indoctrination your, your, our your, our mass media at home and abroad uh has learned their lesson they They know very well uh which side they're on and and they believe in that side. they're not just playing a game so and that they, and they wouldn't be in the position they are if they expressed serious doubts about that side. And so you you have the perfect situation. You have no need to to bribe people or threaten them. They you know, there's a famous poem I can't recall, but you may have heard it. Uh, there's, no, there's no need to, to 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 pay these people when when you can see what they do without being paid. But it's, it's a very funny poem. Uh, and that's what it comes down to. They, these people wouldn't be hired in the first place if if they felt otherwise. Uh, CBS is not going to hire someone like me to, to to write their news, and and if if, if they did by mistake, then that I would quit. I would be or fired. Um, I know a few people who were like that. A, a friend of mine, he was hired by the Washington Post, and they didn't realize who they were hiring, and he he quit very soon. Uh, back in reference back in the in the seventies, uh, so it's a very Tight situation. You, just l- last weekend, they they had the, the correspondence dinner uh, here in Washington. Uh, this is a this is a, a a love fest between the media and, and the government. It shouldn't be that way. The, the 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 press should should take it should maintain a a distance from such things. they should not be socializing in such love and and fun. With 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 the White House, but they, they do. It's, it's it's an annual affair, uh, and it's 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 going as strong as ever. So that's that's the basic problem. They they don't have to bribe these people or threaten them. They just that's who winds up applying for such jobs in the mass media, and that's who winds up being hired by the mass media. It's it's a very neat situation.
1: Yeah, just like when. Piers Morgan was talking to me and I was telling him that, um, you know, there's a problem with self-censorship across the corporate media. And he said, I don't self-censor. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, you don't because that's why you're Piers Morgan. That's why you have your show, dude. Because you, right. because you, because you're just acquiescent. Like that's of course, all of these people, they just play ball. Larry King, Larry King. Yeah.
2: I, I got to find this poem. I'm, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll email it to you. It's a very, it's a very funny thing. Uh, yeah, but you, you probably have heard of it before. and It's very famous. Anyhow, that's a, that's the situation with the mass media. So
0: it sounds, <laughs> so it sounds like the the CIA used to do a lot more overt, or at least we know they used to do a lot more overt funding, infiltrating of media organizations, and it seems like now careerism and wanting to be in the inner circle seems to be effective enough to get a lot of these journalists to play, you know, play on the side of the, the U.S. establishment rather than actually paying them off or bribing them, as you say.
2: Yeah, but it begins with who would a mass media organization hire and who would apply to such a job? I mean, I wouldn't apply to the Washington Post, uh, and neither, neither would you, uh, or you uh, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a closed circle, and it's it's hard to, to break through it, even if you wanted
0: to. Of course, yeah. In Killing Hope, you you go through all these different uh, CIA um, military incursions, and um, I know there were some, some things mused by the CIA where they wanted to try to use LSD to like you know, um to spike uh Castro's drink with L S D and things like that. And I was wondering if you knew about any things involving, you know, the use of L S D or M K Ultra in a foreign policy context.
2: Um those things never were too successful, I don't think from from the from the point of view of the CIA uh they, they some of the the people they they gave LSD to, uh, committed suicide or, or had accidents as a result.
0: Like Frank Olson. Yeah. You have a chapter in Rogue State about CIA drug trafficking. I think yeah. everyone has heard by now that the CIA's narco trafficking with the contras in Nicaragua. But right. what other damaging instances can you shed light on that expose <laughs> that expose that hypocrisy of the war on drugs? You know specifically with the CIA.
2: Well, the CIA was involved with drugs in in Southeast Asia, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind uh, of? Uh, in you in mean Laos. like
0: heroin and opium?
2: Yeah, heroin, yeah, and opium in, in Laos and in and uh, in. in uh, Cambodia and and so on, Uh, and the 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 airline called Air America was very big in that. Um, They they were flying the 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 dope all over Asia and making a nice fortune for themselves as well as 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 the CIA these pilots. Uh, That's. I have a chapter on I think I'm on that in Rogue State.
0: And of course, they played that off as being just you know some some bad bad apples in the agency, just like they oh kind yeah, of you know,
2: Hollywood made a film called Air America
0: with Mel Gibson, uh, which right?
2: just uh, made it seem like just a, a bunch of good old guys having fun and just playing all kinds of games that were ha ha ha. Yeah, I. it was on TV just a few couple of weeks ago, and I I
0: saw a part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a weird movie. I, I saw that, too, without knowing anything about it, and that was my impression from it, too. And, you know, I mean, from the amount of, just the amount of heroin addiction that was um, flooding back in the United States from Vietnam veterans alone, it was, I mean, it's so alarming that like, clearly it wasn't just, just because heroin was so easy to get over there. And I
2: think that the CIA actually made some money out of it, too. Uh, you would, with a fantastic budget, we would not have any need for that, but uh, uh, you hear that noise? Yeah, yeah, let's wait uh, for so it the to... The CIA, <laughs> CIA has come ahead of anyway.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Okay, they're gone. Good. Uh, there was one period in, in the 50s when the CIA was running um, drugs partly to, to enhanced their own budget. They didn't always have unlimited funds like they do now. And so that was part of the reason. But they also used drugs as a means of winning allies. They would, they would, uh, use, they would uh, work with all kinds of people in, in Southeast Asia who were involved in dope. And uh, this, this was an easy way to make allies and, and, uh, who, who would help them in the Cold War that it serve that purpose as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we talked to NSA AT&T whistleblower, Mark Klein, who, um, who talked about a whistleblower he admired from his generation, Philip Agui. William, oh. I know that you've talked extensively about Philip as well, um, and it wasn't until reading your Anti-Empire Report I that I realized that Agui leaked things in a far more adversarial way than Snowden, or really oh, yeah. any modern whistleblower. Um, who was Philip Agee? What did he reveal?
2: His name is, is Agee. Uh, he he was the he has been and was the leading whistleblower of, of American history. There's no there's no CIA or, or other uh, employee of the U.S. government that has ever leaked more uh, harmful or, or potentially harmful material than Philip Agee. He named hundreds. Of CIA agents and officers, hundreds. He has an in appendix in, a in the back of his, his first book, which lists them all, it, it, and he is the most hated uh, person uh, uh, among CIA people. I, I have known quite a few former CIA uh, officers uh, who, who, have, who who have become totally disenchanted with U.S. foreign policy, but they still hate Philip agents. He is the ve noir of the CIA, uh, and I'm really sad that he, he died about three years ago in, in Cuba. Uh, and uh, but his, his son, his two sons who live in New York, they have set up a, a memorial library to him, at NYU, and he uh, it has his papers there, which which are worth seeing, uh, he was quite a guy.
0: So Philip AG um he did something that is considered completely off limits today because when you hear about whistleblowers like Snowden or even Chelsea Manning or you know WikiLeaks um yeah. they they are always sort of under this this sort of there's this talking point that you always hear is you know they put american um service members lives in danger but right but, I mean, and they all adamantly defend that by saying, no, we went, we know. And you even say in one of your articles, in contrast to a G, WikiLeaks withheld the names of hundreds of informants from the nearly 400,000 Iraq war documents released. But I think people, you know, they don't, if they're not aware of a G, they don't realize that, th- that this guy, as you said, he actually made a point to leak the names and the actual covert programs names, which right. essentially outed... I mean, that's what it did. It outed these agents.
2: Exactly. Uh, he, he wanted to harm the agency. He wanted to impair its ability to do the horrible things that it, has been, that it had been doing for so long. And that was his motivation. Uh, so he, he's, he's quite unique in, in this area of, of whistleblowers. Uh, but I admire him greatly. Uh, and he, he, he has one of his books deals with what the CIA, CIA tried to do to him after he he, he, was, he exposed them. They, they hunted him down in Europe, <coughs> trying to assassinate him. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. It's called On the Run. but, but uh, That's the big title. It's an amazing story. And he was they, a close friend of mine from the 1960s. My, my best friend of the 1960s turned out to be a CIA agent. And he was the same guy. He was set after Philip Agee, uh pretending to be again a leftist. Wow! And he took Agee into his confidence, and uh, it's it's a long story, but it's very fascinating. It's uh, this get, get one of Agee's books, and you, it's a, it's an amazing read.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. So. It's, 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 you only really hear about from the Vietnam era of whistleblowing, you only really hear the name Daniel Ellsberg. And I'm just wondering, do you think it's because maybe the establishment has found Daniel Ellsberg's whistleblowing, ex- like within the acceptable realm of dialogue and debate? And then Philip G., as you said, is even hated by CIA agents yeah. who hate the CIA.
2: He broke every rule of the game. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he exposed. And not just CIA personnel, by the hundreds, he exposed foreign leaders who were on CIA's payroll. The president of Mexico and a bunch of other presidents. I mean, you know, the list is just amazing of who he exposed. And he 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 kept notes, I guess, but uh, he uh, he was mainly he was stationed mainly in Latin America. That's, that was his forte. But he, his list of who was who in Latin America for the
0: CIA, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's, it all sounds very interesting, and it's a part of history I think most people should should check out if they haven't heard of him already, because, you know, I mean, what we know as a modern whistleblower, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, Snowden actually even said that he doesn't want to hurt the government, he wants to help it, you know, he yeah. wants to help it reform, and I think that's a very, very different approach
2: um, we need both kinds of whistleblowers, yeah. A.G. and Snowden, so I'm glad they both exist.
0: Yeah, we they do. have they have different approaches, and one shouldn't be, I guess what I'm trying to say is one shouldn't be looked down upon as something dangerous and, you know... Right,
2: I as admire as Snowden greatly. Yeah. So, even, I mean, I admire A.G. even more, but
1: <laughs> I admire Snowden a lot. Of
0: course, yeah.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you about the Phoenix program. Um you know, I'd, I was talking to Mark Kristen Miller from the Ferdin- Bidden Bookshelf and the resurgence of the book about the Phoenix Program and what was that? What was the Phoenix Program? And, and you know, he he talks about how it kind of served as a blueprint for the war on terror. Do you agree with that? Uh,
2: well, I I see the Phoenix Program was came out of the great transformation of of the U.S. In, in dealing with these pesky foreigners, they couldn't find anybody they could they could trust in Vietnam. They and they they just was over it was over their heads, and they just decided at, at some point just to kill them all. Anyone who is not a hundred percent certified pro American, any 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 suspicion about him, kill him. And that's that's what they were doing. That's that's. Uh, that's what that's what I I, I see. I, I'm not an expert on that self yet, but I, that's my superficial uh view of why it took place the way it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what happened where the country and with no good reason whatsoever.
0: <laughs> um in your book Killing Hope, um, it opens up the uh, the very first chapter, um well the first part is called China 1945 to 1960s was Mao Zedong just paranoid and it details uh, a very unknown part of the post World War 2 history well not even really po- I mean post World War 2 in a very short term sense because it was immediately following you know the 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 fall of the um J- Japan and and everything else um where the US was still stationing thousands of U.S. troops to fend off um, Chinese forces. And I I, yeah. I guess it just blows my mind that that aspect of, you know, I guess call it a secret war, um, how would you describe that, and why do you think that that part of World War II history is mostly completely ignored or just not talked about? Uh,
2: there was about four or five countries uh, in, uh, which... Where the US at the close of the Second World War changed from fighting the Japanese or the Germans to fighting the left. Leftists in China, leftists in, uh, uh, what else was Uh, I haven't got it in front of me. Uh, they, they were far, far such examples where, where, they, they, they stopped they, in effect the they stopped World War II to fight the Cold War or to start the Cold War uh, and, and I, I haven't gotten in front of me. I can't, can't give you the whole list of countries but China was, was one, of the, one of the main places uh, and they in effect the they, they helped they helped uh, Chiang Kai-shek against, the, the, against Mao and and uh, that's that's something which the Chinese could easily forget. That's that's certainly the main reason why China has been hostile to the U.S. and was for, for decades after the war.
0: Yeah, it's just another one of those things that you know we have no context for. I mean, the um, we're mostly painted as, I guess I should say, World War II. Our role in it was that we were you know, fighting the Japanese and that we were basically protecting China because Japan had already bludgeoned, you know, and and fought the, you know, basically obliterated China so much. A
2: side effect of this was that in, in China and in the Philippines and elsewhere, American GIs, instead of being sent home because the war was over, they were used to fight against the left, against communists or so-called communists in, in the various countries. And this led to a, a mass revolt by American GIs following the Second World War. This, how many Americans know about that? Uh, thousands of GIs staged serious protests all over Asia, demanding to be sent home because the war was over. And yet they were, they were kept in, in Asia to fight Reds, uh, what so one side effect of this policy.
0: It's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's very fascinating.
2: The, the things the Americans don't, are not told at least are fascinating, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: Speaking of 9-11 and bin Laden, of course, famously endorsed you, William, um, back in 2006. I mean, yeah. which, of course, I mean, he's pointing out some of the most horrendous things that the U S has done. And of course that's what your book is about. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just like I was told that a lot of, um, you know, the six people on trial for nine 11 in Guantanamo Bay all watched breaking the set (laughs) and they all really liked my show. Um, and, and it's, and it's an honor because it shows you that you're exposing the right, you know, you're exposing people who need to be exposed and, but I mean, going back to this endorsement thing, did you feel like anyone dropped you or was it too controversial for them to praise you anymore? Did you lose kind of colleagues? Or?
2: I, yeah, what I lost was my speaking on campus. I, and, and until really? Point, yeah, until that point I had been speaking, I was getting paid speaking engagements on campuses all, all over and that came almost, that fell to almost zero after that and it uh, happened a few times that I was co- called or sent an email by a teacher or a student from some c- campus asking whether I was free to speak there on a certain date, and I would say yes, and then I would never hear from them again. So in, any, any official in a, in, a, in a university who wants to check, I mean, just Googles my name, and one of the first things which pops up is Osama bin Laden, and that's the end of speaking on that campus. So, wow. That's put a dent in my earnings.
1: Man, it's unfortunate that, you know, kind of Wikipedia, too, like this, these admins who can just shape who you are. And, you know, you go to your Wikipedia page, and it's like one of the first things that comes up, and yeah, well, just people being able to just taint people, you know? I can't blame them
2: for, for, for putting it up front. It's, 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 it's sort of an unusual <laughs> uh, event. How uh, many mm-hmm. people were endorsed by Samuel Bin Laden yeah
1: yeah it's amazing and you know let's talk about right now um we're embroiled in a full-blown war And terror obama's been bombing seven predominantly muslim countries i mean paint us the landscape of ci involvement in today's climate i know that obviously it's a pretty big question but you know we've heard the general of africa I'm talking about africa military operations going on every day there's colombia stuff cuba venezuela i mean what, what kind of regions of the world do you think that we should be honing in on in terms of covert operations right now? When you say we, you mean... Uh, like just journalists, yeah, like and, and just citizens. Well, I'm afraid that the headlines mm-hmm.
2: dictate uh, uh, that for me. I mean, uh, I, I, when I write up my anti-empire report, I choose what's in the headlines uh, to, to deal with... So I don't really pitch out mm-hmm. those myself. Uh, it's what the ones which I have most often have to had to deal with was Cuba, and Venezuela.
0: What about um, like this most recent thing where USAID made a fake Twitter in Cuba? Do you know? Do you know anything yeah. about that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's just part of that's part of like all that stuff. I mean, the fake hip hop groups the right. fake Twitter, the fake AIDS program, all of that was part of that but campaign. They, yeah, like despite the so-called normal, normal relations with Cuba, what is the U.S. still doing on the ground right now?
2: I'm not very optimistic about how that's going to turn out. Uh, as of today, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not even a, 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 a embassies open up. Uh, I don't think in the final analysis that the U.S. is going to change much over They're not going to end the embargo, not in my lifetime, and that is the, the Cuba's main demand. It, that's the sine, sine qua non for Cuba, that the embargo has to be ended. Uh, and I, I don't see that being ended very very soon. Ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cuba is not going to abandon socialism, which is what the U.S. wants. The U.S. is, is concerned with regime change and uh, they are so accustomed to getting their way uh, but they, they don't realize that Cuba, the Cuban leaders actually have principles and ideals and they don't want to abandon them uh, just for the sake of, of being able to, to buy certain goods. And, and the U.S. government, the powers that be here, are not accustomed to dealing with people of principle. They, 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 they think that the whole world is like themselves. And they, 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 if they really expect that Cuba is going to announce a change of system from uh, socialism to capitalism, then I think that they're going to be very
1: disappointed. Right. Cuba's definitely, they definitely get it. And it was great to talk to a lot of political leaders there who totally were like, we are not fooled by this. I mean, we are not going to change what we're all about. But, you know, it it seems like when you talk to people about the U.S. empire, William, there's so much cultural bigotry and and there's so much holding on to this myth of American exceptionalism still. I mean, why? Why is this? Why do people understand that America's empire is not about morals? It's not about democracy. I mean, how is this not blatantly obvious to everyone by now?
2: Yeah, this question of how to influence the American mind has, is one that has occupied my own mind for, for decades, mm-hmm. and, and I, it was very frustrating to keep meeting people where I explain all the horrible things that the U.S. government has done, and yet these people, these people were not moved. They they they, they, they were not impressed that they said something. <laughs> <to you. laughs> for years, I was I was thinking, are these people just stupid? And my answer, my, I finally came to a conclusion. though they're not stupid necessarily. What what it is is something much more basic. These these American people are taught from childhood on that the U.S. government in its dealings with other peoples means well. They they they're. they're their motivation is honorable, even noble. And as long as a person believes that, if they believe the intentions are noble, then no matter what the government does, it can be rationalized. They can say, oh, it's a mistake. Even if the U.S. lies about it and they kill more people than they help, and so on, which we all know that the average American is still influenced by this basic, basic belief that we mean world. And that's, I keep, when I talk to people or in my writing to activists, I tell them they must keep this in mind. If they want to educate American Americans, they have to keep in mind that these people believe in this meaning world philosophy and you have to deal with that. You can't just ignore that and expect to make any progress in, in, in dealing with these people.
1: Mm-hmm. And why is it so important to understand the true history of the CIA? Because a lot of people will look at your book and say, oh, you know, all those operations ended and, you know, it's over. Why are, let's just talk about what's going on now. I mean, why is, why is it so important to understand the criminal history of the CIA, the history of U.S. militarism? To get a context on how the world really works today, William?
2: Well, if, for, for a person who has no... Social conscience, if, 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 for a sociopath or, or a psychopath, it's not important. Uh, those people I meet them, they don't care what we do. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming that most people are not psychopaths, even Americans. Mm. Uh, so you have to deal with people uh, uh, with, with ignorance. It, it, there are many people, most people mean well, but they, they don't know enough. And so that's what I—that's the angle I approach. I—I I don't deal with, uh, with, with their, with their avoidance of of, of the whole picture. I—I I deal with the evidence of it, and that's—that's mm-hmm. all that's I can do.
0: Killing Hope and Rogue State are two of your most well-known works. Is there? Anything else that you're doing currently? I know you're doing the anti empire report on the internet.
2: My, my latest book is uh, uh, America's most dangerous uh, weapon: um, democracy. Uh, that is a, a, that is largely a collection of my articles. From the Anti Empire Report, so plus much more thing, much more than that. But that's my latest book, and uh, that is a good summary of many of, of the things which I deal with.
0: And people can order those directly from your website and, and places other bookstores online carry yeah, them as uh, well. Yeah, let
2: me mention my website. It's William Bloom. that's B L U M. dot O R G.
0: All right. Yeah, everybody should definitely check out Williams' website. Extremely important information, uh, vital, and just a compilation—you know, historical timeline, basically of all of this stuff. And there's not very many other people, even doing anti-U.S. Uh, foreign policy writings, that have compiled it in such a succinct and understandable way as you have. Thank you
1: very much. Thank you so much, uh, William Bloom, for your amazing insight and for all of your time today and for your patience with my brother and I getting, getting everything up and running. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for that. Keep up the good work. Keep in touch with me, okay, William? Yes, indeed. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye.
2: Nice to Bye. talk to you,
0: William. Talk to you later. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash media roots radio and also please consider leaving us a good review on itunes and other places that host our podcasts
3: Is this thing on? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Hi, a pleasure to be here. A few weeks ago, I spoke at a university uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona. It was the first time in a full year I had been uh, invited or allowed to speak on a campus since uh, January of, of of last year, when, as some of you may know, um, in an audio tape, Osama bin Laden recommended that Americans read my book for a better understanding of why they have become anti-American terrorists. My, my, my book Rogue State. Since that time uh, I have been in effect banned from US campuses and normally I have a speaking engagement every other month or so there. Uh, five or six times I was approached by faculty or students to speak and I said yes I'd be glad to and each time they were unable to get the approval of the officials of the university. Um, when when I when the Bin Laden tape was made public, I became an instant uh, celebrity. I was uh, on CNN with Wolf Blitzer and 45 minutes on C-SPAN, MSNBC, all the big shows. Um, and in the, in the Washington, I live in Washington D.C. And for for over 10 years, I had been sending in letters to the Post uh, commenting on their poor coverage of U.S. foreign policy. And not one letter had been printed. Now, all of a sudden, my photo was on page one of the Post, and there was a long story about me inside. But since then, it's been the same pattern. They still will not print my letters or any article I write. Uh, When I was on these programs, They kept asking me what I think about having my book endorsed by such an evil person as bin Laden. And my answer was this. There were two elements involved. On the one hand, I have nothing but loathing for any kind of religious fundamentalism, including the societies spawned by such fundamentalism, like the Taliban in Afghanistan. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm part of a worldwide movement which has a very ambitious goal of slowing down, if not stopping, the American empire and keeping it from continuing to do what it's been doing for a century, the invasions and the bombings, the overthrows of governments, the occupations, the torture, all of that. And so, and for, for, for this movement to have any, any chance of success, we have to reach the American public. And to reach the American public, we need access to the mass media. And so I was very glad, because of what happened with this, uh, this tape, to have the opportunity to have access to the mass media. And that's, that's the, that was the other side of the equation. Uh, and that's how I answered that question.